1208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Some breaking news from the world of sports. The Brewers, um, our very own Jay Sorgi, is passing on a report from uh, baseball analyst Ken Rosenthal. Uh, the report is the Brewers have agreed to a contract with free agent relief pitcher Matt Albers. Um, two-year deal, that that would be, again, significant because and last week the Brewers made the big splash with the free agent signing of Lorenzo Cain and the big trade for the Miami Marlins outfielder. I think a lot of people were saying, oh, this is great, but they, they still you know need pitching. And um, one of the things, bullpen and starting pitching, I think a lot of us think that they're still going to perhaps go after one of the big-name starting pitchers that are out there. But they have signed Matt Albers. Matt Albers has been a pitcher for 13 years um, in the American and the National League. He, he's a reliever. He's not a closer, but he's a reliever. Last season, he pitched for the Washington Nationals, um, made a number of appearances, 63 games, um, and an earned run average of 1.62. Uh, he was seven and two last year at the age of 34. Um, like I say, that's a that's a big deal. That's a big deal, and clear. Of course, you you need those setup guys, and you need somebody. I mean, if he pitched in 63 games last year. 58 games the year before that, that tells you that um, he's got some degree of durability, and so the Brewers go out and make that signing. Again, it's just another indication that this team, I think, thinks the future is now, and for those of us who are Brewers fans, that's that's something that's really, really good. Speaking of sports, Grew, who's producing the show today, I went to the Marquette game yesterday, Marquette-Villanova, and they came up a little bit short, but it was a great game. Anybody who was at the Bradley Center yesterday afternoon knows exactly what I'm talking about. The place was almost full. I mean, up uh, maybe in the corners at the highest levels of the rafters, there weren't people there, but a lot, a lot of people there, a lot of noise. Villanova, the number one ranked team in the country for a reason. Villanova, really, really good. And Marquette played with them, and they came up a little bit short at the end, but it was nothing to be ashamed of. A lot of fun. All right, the big story out of Washington, breaking in the last 20 minutes or so, and I understand a little bit of this is inside baseball, but But I think for a variety of reasons, this is good news. Andrew McCabe, who is the FBI's deputy director, announced that he was stepping down. He's 49 years old. He is eligible for retirement um, in six or seven weeks. Um, And that's I understand you say, how could you be eligible for retirement? Well, that's kind of the way it works with the FBI. He started probably right out of college. So you get your 25 years in. Um, he is apparently going to use, I guess, vacation time and holiday time or whatever to take him up to his retirement date. But he's going to retire in early March. He has been a target of a number of Republicans because of, candidly, his involvement in some sketchy stuff on, on the part of the FBI. His problems, and, and it just it's a screaming conflict of interest. And I am surprised that somebody who had been with the Bureau as long as he had didn't see it. His wife ran for Senate out of Virginia. She was a Democratic candidate for U.S. Senate. At the same time, you know, he's uh, for a Virginia Senate seat in 2015. She received hundreds of thousands of dollars in campaign donations from a political action committee headed by Terry McAuliffe, who is a close ally of of the Clintons. All right, this is going on at the same time 
that the FBI is pursuing its investigation of the Clinton Foundation, trying to determine whether the foundation donations, um, whether money that came into the foundation um, actually was given based on an expectation of government favors um, for Clinton or her allies. So his wife is getting all this money in her political life at the same time that he is supervising this investigation into the Clinton Foundation. It's a screaming conflict of interest. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying the guy did anything wrong or whatever, but he should not have been involved in any aspect of this investigation. And I'm, I'm kind of shocked that he didn't see this. This is sort of like the former Attorney General of the United States, you know, having a 45-minute meeting on a tarmac with Bill Clinton at the same time that she is supposedly investigating Bill and Hillary Clinton. In addition, um, you have these two FBI agents um, that were having the affair, Peter um, Strzok and um, the attorney who was, you know, on his staff, um, they, of course, you know, are exchanging all these different emails back and forth. Ultimately, the emails get the investigative agent tossed off of the um, investigation. But there's at least one email talks about how, um, well, for example, one of them is an email from one agent to the other saying, I want to believe the path you threw out for consideration in Andy, that's the guy, Andy's office, that there's no way he, Trump, gets elected. But I'm afraid we can't take the risk. It's like an insurance policy in the unlikely event you die before you're 40. So there was apparently at least one meeting where if you read these emails, there was a path discussed that would make sure that Donald Trump didn't win. It's where this goes, I don't know, but it was an embarrassment, and I, I think the sooner Andy McCabe moves on, the better off everybody is going to be, especially if you want to restore people's faith in the FBI. So McCabe announcing he is going to step down. He's got enough credit to take early retirement, and, and that's fine. President Trump was tweeting things saying, hey, McCabe's trying to get out of here um, with full retirement benefits. The guy worked his entire career. I don't have a problem with him retiring, getting full benefits, but I think if the FBI is going to move on, This is important. All right. Speaking of moving on, we start off today's program like we start off every program. Three big things. The numbers are in. And the numbers, at least the preliminary numbers for last night's Grammy Award show on CBS, um, not good. Now, the final numbers aren't going to be in until later. But what they do is they, they do have early ratings that come in from certain select markets. They call them fast affiliate results. And in the key demographics, 18 to 49, that's the key demographic for Grammys advertisers, um, the show in the, again, the fast affiliates markets fell 26%, 26% from a year ago. Um, they estimate that overall um, the ratings were down 23%. So um, down significantly in the key demo, down significantly overall. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But I think there was about a two-minute segment which underscores why the Grammys is having all the problems it is having. They had a segment where a number of quote-unquote celebrities, including Hillary Clinton, 
read excerpts from the book Fast and Furious, the Donald Trump hatchet job that came out a couple weeks ago. If you didn't hear it, I apologize in advance to make you listen to it, but you need it for perspective. Here it runs about a minute and 55 seconds. Here's the audio of the quote-unquote sketch that they ran at the Music Awards ceremony last night. Fire and Fury spoken word auditions. Take one. Trump won't read anything. He gets up halfway through meetings with world leaders because he is bored. Cut! Sorry, John. It's wonderful. It just feels a bit too smooth. I don't think it's going to work. Next! His comb over, semicolon. This is Cher. The color was a product called Just for Men. The longer it was left on, the darker it got. Impatience resulted in Trump's orange blonde hair color. Cut! Trump did not enjoy his own inauguration. He started to get angry and hurt that stars were determined to embarrass him. I definitely wasn't there. Cut. Spoken word, Cardi B. If Trump was not having his 6.30 dinner with Steve Bannon, then more to his liking, he was in bed by that time with a cheeseburger. Why am I even reading this I can't believe this. I can't believe that he really... This how he lives his life? He reprimanded the housekeeper staff for picking up his shirt from the floor. If my shirt is on the floor, it's because I want it on the floor. Another one. It's we the best. It's DJ Cabin. Matter of fact, this is the best spoken word album in the game. I'm finally going to win my Cut. Grammy. So this isn't going to work. Next. It's not going to work. Everything I do works. Stand by. Take one. He had a longtime fear of being poisoned. One reason why he liked to eat at McDonald's. Nobody knew he was coming, and the food was safely pre-made. That's it. We've got it. That's the one. You think so? Oh, yeah. The Grammy's in the bag? In the bag. (laughs) That, of course, was Hillary Clinton. And in the video of that, um, she starts off with the book in front of her face, so you can't see that, and then she slowly drops it. So you had Cher, you had Hillary Clinton, you had a number of other people, but this was the music awards thing. Now, that's just the start of of what ended up happening. And, of course, if you watched any of it or the clips, you saw one relentless example of Trump bashing after another. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Like I say, early results show fewer and fewer and fewer people watching the Grammys. I think one of the factors is, again, Many, many people care about music or enjoy music, but don't want to hear the relentless political, in this case, Trump bashing. And that is one of, not the only, but that is one of maybe the major reason why you see numbers for all these award shows, but in particular shows like last night, dropping. People are just sick of the political attacks. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Big story number one. Were the Grammys too political? Are you sick of these award shows that are now nothing but an excuse for, in this case, Trump and or Republican bashing? 414-799-1620. I think the answer is yes. We're back to discuss. It's 1219. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 
1222, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, here's the text. I hate to say it, but if you thought the Grammys were bad, wait for the Oscars. It's petty people who can't get over their election taking cheap shots to better their careers. Well, there is something to do, to say about that. Another text. We turned it off. Nothing but Trump bashing. Jill and Brown Deer. Jill, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. What do you think? Well, I just think that uh, these petty superficial bashings they can't even address the issue so it, it makes me more entrenched to the right well right plus it's there, there's a time and a place i i guess for for everything and i i think people to the extent people tune into these award shows they they want to they want to see the celebrities they want to hear the performances they want to see what kind of gowns people are wearing or what's yeah. the clothes they want to be entertained they, yeah. they don't want to just hear this relentless, gee, we think we're clever because we're the Hollywood left, and we're going to bash, in this case, the President of the United States. I just don't think people want that. Right, and I don't want to hear anything what the celebrities want. I want to be entertained, so just be an entertainer. Right, yeah, exactly. Right, Thanks. Right. shut up and, and do do your job. Now, I understand there's always been kind of some political element, but let, let's face what what are the what are the award shows typically about? What is the tradition? You, you get up, you win the award, you come up, you thank your producer, you thank your wife or your husband, you know, you give a shout out to the other competitors or whatever. But it, it's kind of this relentless use uh, of politicizing the thing that I think turns people off. And you don't have to take my word for it. There's lots of reasons why the ratings continue to plunge. But I think that's a factor that a lot of people just can't bring themselves to watch it because they say, you know what, I'd like to see who's up there. But at the same time, well, I, I don't know. I just I don't want to be subjected to all this politics, regardless of where you are on the issue of the president. Mary and Franklin. Mary, you're on WTMJ. Hi, this Hi, Mary. is Mary. Yes, ma'am. And I'm calling because I didn't watch the awards last night because I didn't like the Trump bashing, and I don't plan on watching any more of those shows, including Saturday Night Live, which they bash him all the time on there. Uh, they never tell both sides of the story. Um, Clinton had sex in the White House. I mean, there were women coming in and out of there. It was commonly known. Um, so I, I just, I, I'm right. tired of it. I don't want to. Well, right, and, and the, the hypocrisy, Mary, thanks for calling, and the hypocrisy is stunning. Okay, I don't know how much many of you have been following the story, but Hillary Clinton is under fire because apparently there was a guy who was a known sexual harasser working on her staff, and she apparently went out of her way making arrangements to keep the guy on the staff, having known about and apparently verified these different complaints. And here you have Hillary Clinton, you're trotting her out, you know, at the night of this sort of Me Too type of thing. I mean, really. But the bottom line is, I don't think people are tuning in for the politics. And, you know, sooner or later... Sooner or later, I think, you know, the people that put these things together are either going to figure that out or these things are going to die. Okay, Chuck sends me a text. Jeff, it's not just Trump bashing. It's outright anger with a viable solution. Same thing over and over again. Boring. Besides, I want to know what's going on with the music industry, not a point of political view. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, let's go on here. A lot of text lines exploded. Um, I, I don't watch these things. You're right. I told my husband last night when watching that I'm sick of all the politics and award show. It's gotten over the top. They've all lost their way. I turned it off. Well, you know, you're not unique. Lots of people ended up turning it off. Let's see. It is terrible. It is shameful. 
I didn't watch. So sick of all the negativity constantly being spewed by the quote-unquote celebrities as if they even had a sense of what real life is. That's from Jamie in Muskego. Um, yeah, see, that's that's the key here. Let's talk to Todd in Greenfield. Todd, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. You know, just like uh, Jamie said, um, it's we're, we're tired of it. And at this point, can't they just plainly see that the longer they rip on Trump, it just makes them look like sore losers, especially when they use a music award show to to use their political forum when, you know, they're the, the Hollywood elite. They're not a part of a regular America, so they don't understand regular America. And I don't I think that they think the longer they rip on Trump to make him look bad, it's their propaganda to make it look like, well, maybe he really is a, a bad guy. When they don't even look at all the accomplishments that he's done. Right, when they don't you care. Know, if you can get past what comes out of his mouth and he doesn't speak before he – it's not that. It's important. It's what he does as a, as a president. He's getting things done. Well, but it's and, still – I mean, no, Todd, thanks for coming. I'm going to cut you off. But, yeah, it's, it's this – I mean, again, it, it's the infusion of politics. Stephen West Bend makes the point. Did the Grammys allow people to bash Obama? People from the left would have been outraged and would have been screaming racism. You know, you know, one of the other things that's out there, too, is, um, I mean, last night was supposed to be the, you know, the, the night of the woman and everybody part of the, the Me Too awards and all that. Um, you want to talk about hypocrisy. Of course, how can you, well, let me just share, here's one of the texts I have. I love how people who made millions of dollars rapping about, um, and then a couple of the derogatory names that they use for women, um, and getting high, perceive themselves to be the moral authority for all Americans. Yeah, let, let's have all these rappers out there, you know, who have just reveled in um, dehumanizing women and misogyny and things like that and violence and let's kill the police and all that type of stuff. These are the people that are going to lecture us on what America should be. Give me a break. Well, the early results are in. Grammy numbers are down big time. I am not surprised. I think this is going to happen across the board until organizers figure it out. 1228, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, when you think about American musical theater, the the great musicals written for the stage, you think about, you know, maybe Camelot, West Side Story, Oklahoma, Carousel. Um, many people argue, and I, I'm not necessarily sure that I would say that this is the greatest, but in, in the list of top Five, pretty much every every critic would agree that in the top five is a 1959 musical called Gypsy. Now, Gru, have you ever heard of Gypsy? You've never heard. Uh, see, this is a came out in 1959. Um, it's the story of. All right, this is going to make me feel old too. Have you ever heard of Gypsy Rose Lee? No, you haven't. Gypsy Rose Lee was a very very famous burlesque dancer slash stripper back in the the era of burlesque as gypsy rose lee this musical gypsy is based on her autobiography kind of loosely based on that and um it, it follows they made it into a movie but it follows the the tale of young Gypsy Rose Lee, that wasn't her real name, and she had this, this overpowering stage mother named named Rose, 
Um, and so that that's the story of their interaction about how Rose kind of dominates Gypsy. But Gypsy's a, a stripper. But that's the, the thing. And she starts off um, like as a young girl and how ultimately she becomes more famous and kind of outgrows her mother. They... Um, some of the songs that, that became really popular standards that came out of the musical Gypsy, um, Everything's Coming Up Roses, Together, Wherever We Go, You Gotta Get a Gimmick, Let Me Entertain You, that's from Gypsy, um, and, and then there's a song called Rose's Turn, which is incredibly powerful. You know, in right before the break, I made reference to Ethel Merman. Ethel Merman was, for those of you who are not of a certain age, Ethel Merman was a, a a singer, a stage performer that had just an incredible set of pipes, just an incredible voice. And, and I, I think she's probably best known for playing Rose, the, the mother in, in Gypsy. But um, th- that that was her, her star turn and all. And so, I, I mean, I remember then there was a time, Gypsy Rosalie, there was a time when she had a, she even had like a daytime talk show or something, I think, during the, the 60s and all. But but that's it. The, the song, the show is, is Gypsy. Now, you might ask, Jeff, why are we talking about this musical from 1960 called Gypsy, which they do perform still from time to time? Well, I'm starting to wonder whether in politically correct 2018 we will ever see the movie Gypsy staged again. Here's why I raised that question. There is a there's a food truck in town. It's a food truck business. Um, and it, it's been incredibly successful. Um, the, the food tra- tra- uh, truck business, there's a guy, his name is Mitchell Cajon, and he named his food truck business, wait for it, Gypsy Taco. Now, this is the way On Milwaukee reports it. When he decided to name his food truck business Gypsy Taco and later Gypsy Burger, he was not aware that the term Gypsy was a derogative, derogatory term for a group of people called the Romani or Roma while living primarily in Eastern Europe. He said he considered the name to be synonymous with traveler, and because that's what he did earlier in his career, travel along around the country learning about cuisine and the food truck trade, he found the name fitting. I didn't understand the negative commentary, but I have researched a lot now, and I understand, says the owner. I don't want to be hurtful to anyone, and I know saying I'm sorry or I didn't know isn't enough, so we are going to change the names of both business. So no more Gypsy Taco, no more Gypsy Burger. Says I don't know what I'm going to change it to, but the guy issued, um, he calls himself Chef Mitch. Here's what he posts on Facebook. Dear friends and customers, I would like to announce that I will be working to rebrand my company effective immediately. It has come to my attention that the name around which I have created a brand is offensive to the people from which it stems. While not my intent, the name I chose to represent me as a chef was founded upon an inaccurate definition that disregarded the long history and plight of the Romani people. The local community has spoken, and I have made it my mission to listen. I apologize to those I have offended. It was not my intent. I have always stood behind my company and my product to proudly continue doing so I willingly accept the blame for my lack of education on the matter and absolutely wish to use that which I respect the time and capital necessary uh, okay, I'm sorry. Absolutely wish to use that which I have learned to reimagine my company as one that is inclusive to all. I only ask that all affected respect the time and capital necessary in the rebranding of the business. The process cannot be done overnight, but rest easy knowing it begins now with this. Apologies truly yours, Chef Mitch. 
All right, so the guy starts this, and apparently it's very, very successful. He's got the food truck business. One is Gypsy Taco. One is Gypsy Burger. And he's now said, I, I've been getting all this heat from people. I've researched this. I understand why people find this offensive. And even though that was not my intent, even though I think of gypsies as being people who travel around, and since I started my career traveling around, I thought it was good this way. Um, so I didn't realize I was hurting people's feelings. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Is Now, first of all, it's the guy's business. So he can do whatever he wants to do with it. And it's his right, of course, to, to change the name. But have we gotten now to a point when, when you hear the term gypsy, when you hear, hey, the musical gypsy is coming to town, do we automatically assume that there is a negative connotation to that? There's the Stevie Nicks Fleetwood Mac song, you know, gypsy. Is this now we can't we're not going to be able to play the song. We're not going to have the musical because people are going to be offended. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this political correctness run amok? And the guy who's running the business, Gypsy Taco or Gypsy Burger, you know, is that something that a reasonable person would interpret as being, I don't know, an offensive slur to a group of people? 414-799-1620. I, for one, hope this doesn't mean the end of the musical Gypsy, which even though I wouldn't necessarily say I think it's the greatest American musical of the mid-50s, uh, mid-20th century, I think it's pretty darn good. 414-799-1620. Do we need to ban this word from our language? 1242, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1246, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Big story number two. Owner of a local food truck business started out being called Gypsy Taco, and then he's got a Gypsy Burger, has now issued a Facebook Mia culpa. He's really, really sorry. He's going to change the name because people are offended by his use of the term Gypsy. I was talking about, okay, does that mean that we, we can't have a musical uh, about Gypsy Rose Lee, um, the musical Gypsy? What about the Stevie Nicks song, Gypsy? I mean, is this, is this now, are, are we now going to be offended by this? Joy in Greendale. Joy, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello, how are you? Very well, thank you. What do you think? Um, I don't think it's a matter of having to take the word out of our vocabulary. I think as Americans, we have many words that we've misinterpreted, shall we say, and we did not realize how offensive they were. And it's a matter of education, educating ourselves. And I've always said, with having an education background, that it is the ignorance that breeds the prejudice. And I give him kudos for taking the initiative and having the morals, the ethics, and the integrity as a business owner to say, hey, wait a minute, I've been educated on this. I now understand. You don't have to agree, but he understands where this is offensive to this group of people and is doing something about it. And I think he should be commended for that. Should we rename the Gypsy Moth? I do not believe that we should rename it, but why not? Here, I mean, why not? If, if 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 it's if it is an offensive term, and that's something that the scientists and the government refer to. I mean, if it is an offensive term, why could we? Ha- why should we have gypsy moths? Well, again, I believe in using it as a teachable moment, shall we say? So, when talking about the gypsy moth, maybe that can lead into a bigger conversation about how that 
got its name and how we've now learned more about the use of the term gypsy from the people who it's referring to and have realized it maybe wasn't the greatest um, term to use, but at the time it was not understood the meaning behind it. Well, so I guess I see, Joy, Joy I, I would completely disagree with you because I, I, I would argue that maybe at the time this term originally w- was used, maybe there was a derogatory connotation to it. I would argue that in 2018, any any negative connotation is pretty much gone. I mean, the, the, they refer to gypsy moths because they are travelers. They, they move around. I don't think most people that hear the term gypsy, um, I, I don't think most of them say, oh, this is a derogatory term. It is referring to the, the whole notion of, uh, again, moving a- around without necessarily that negative connotation. This is a word that I think maybe you could have argued that a few hundred years ago, maybe there was that negative connotation, but we have grown up and we have passed that four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. David in Mequon. David, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. You stole some of my thunder uh, in that last uh, little uh, okay, which you're just speaking of. But what I was going to say, though, we're definitely traveling down this road where everything that you're being that you're saying or doing, there's 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 outrage. There's like you're racist and this and that, and we're we're really becoming. Almost a country where you can't speak uh, without somebody, you know, slamming you for being, you know, this or that. Right, right. And, and, and none of us know the rules. That that that's <clears throat> that, right. that's part of the problem. It's like, okay, right. you know, I hear the term gypsy. I think of the musical Gypsy Rosalie. I think of the Stevie Nicks song. I think of the Gypsy Moths. I think it's something referring to kind of like a nomadic existence. And yet, you have this one group who says, "Well, we're offended by this, so now we have to try to eliminate it from the lexicon." Now, the guy's a businessman. If he's getting all sorts of heat from people, but you know, is it inherently a racist term? And my argument would be no. No, and you're you're right. The, the the connotation over the last couple of hundred years has definitely changed, and and you know some of the things that we have today are you know maybe we're derived from certain things or aspect, but we look at it differently today in a much different way. Sure. Whereas back then, words that we consider racist today were not considered racist back right. then, and and vice versa. And it's it's uh, you know it's. Yep. You gotta factor the time, the period it, of the time. You, you do. So. I just need the memo. I mean, I, I just need the memo that that you know. Okay, what words are now commonly in our vocabulary that people do not associate? or at least most normal people do not associate as being derogatory or racist, what are these words that now need to be purged? And look, I get that it's the guy's business. He can do whatever he wants, okay? that, And I just think it's interesting that he is apparently getting heat on calling something, you know, uh, a, a gypsy taco or gypsy burger, and so much heat that he's decided, I've got to change the name of my business because people are offended. Lori in Milwaukee text, Jeff, when I heard the word gypsy, I think of romanticized wandering free spirits um yes i I think um i think so um let's see people are saying would nomad tacos be better then well i i guess unless people are going to find uh that to be and is nomad offensive to people again that's the larger point here again the man it's his business and if he thinks that there's going to be people that are going to be worked up over this um that's fine 
But I, I think if you're going to try to, I just need the memo. What are the words that you cannot say nowadays? Words that have had, you know, a common parlance. And I think most of us do not understand as being, do not consider and do not use them in a fashion that they are racist or whatever. And I guess if there is this, you know, group of individuals from Eastern Europe who, who don't like being called gypsies, well, all right, maybe you got bigger battles to fight than fighting the battle against some guy in Milwaukee who's got, you know, running a place called Gypsy Taco. Just saying. 1253, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Twelve fifty six, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We got to be careful, group. Playing that song, Werewolves of London, the Great Warren Zevon hit, because I, I don't know. Maybe there's some werewolves out there that get offended by that. You know, it, it relays on stereotypical sort of terms involving, you know, werewolves. And last thing I want to do is upset the werewolf community. I just, I just don't want to do that. Coming up in the next hour of the program. Hey, if you've got a member of the military or you were in the military, you want to know what at least one school teacher in California thinks about you. And interesting story out of Appleton, parents rise up and drive a basketball coach out of his position. You know, did the parents go too far? That's all coming up. Big story number three, yeah, President Trump in the news again. Um, he does an interview with Piers Morgan, and Piers Morgan asks him, Gee, do you consider yourself a, a feminist? Hmm. Now, of course, keep in mind the backdrop of all this is you have women marching in the streets, and the the big saying is "grab him by the midterms." This that you know, women are just offended by President Trump, and so what they want to do is they want to use their electoral power, and that's all fine. So the question is, are are you a are you a feminist? And he says, "Well, that would be maybe going too far." He says, "I'm for women. I'm for men. I'm for everyone." I think people have to go out and they have to win, and women are doing great, and I'm happy about that. And he points to the fact that, you know, the female unemployment rate, like the minority unemployment rate, is, you know, at all-time lows. He says, I wouldn't say that I am a feminist, but I, I'm for everybody. And, of course, um, you have a number of the anti-Trump forces in the mainstream media that seize on that. See, 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 you know, he's saying that, you know, he's not for women. Well, I don't know. He's saying, hey, I'm not a feminist, but I'm not a chauvinist. I'm just this guy that's out there. I want to see people do well. Now, look, I understand you can go back and you can look at this history and you can look at some of the stuff that's out there and you can look at that infamous tape from, you know, the Access Hollywood story and you can say, well, you know, we think Donald Trump is this or that or the ever other and we think he's misogynistic and all that stuff. I, I get it. I understand where that is coming from, but to criticize him for saying, well, no, I'm not necessarily a feminist. I don't know. I think, you know, you, you want, don't you want the president of the United States to be for everyone in this country? I understand exactly where the president was coming from. And I think in this particular case, stealing, uh, getting upset with, you know, the president for this remark, I think is pushing the envelope. Okay. When we come back, Stealing cars in the suburbs. What do we really think about the military? And did the parents go too far? Stick around. 1258, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 107, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Well, crime in this area is morphing. It used to be 
that you could, I mean, I actually remember a time in this community where you could allow your car to warm up in front of your house or in your driveway when it got cold, right? I, I concede that that time has now passed because we, we now know in Tom Barrett's Milwaukee and now in a lot of the surrounding suburbs, what happens is whenever it gets cold, you have roving bands of thugs, thieves, whatever term you want to use, who drive around just looking for somebody to leave that unattended car running and uh, with the keys in it, and then it's going to be gone in less than 60 seconds. Okay, so now the police are appropriately telling people, don't do that because you might end up you know, having your car stolen, to the point that there's a Milwaukee Common Councilwoman who actually wants to, a councilman, who wants to make it a crime if you leave your car running in your driveway, unattended. Okay, I, I get that. All right, I, it is unfortunate, but maybe that is the reality. Well, how much of this stuff do we have to take? There was a story on CBS 58 over the weekend. Let me share this with you because it got my attention. Um, 14 and 15-year-old arrested. Okay? That is, of course, not an uncommon story. We have a lot of the people that are out there committing crimes are 14 and 15-year-olds. 14 and 15-year-old arrested. All right. Unfortunate, but it happens. After stealing car in Whitefish Bay. Okay. Um, now you have crime in Milwaukee that is starting to spread to the suburbs. So yes, you've got a 14 and a 15 year old. They're out in Whitefish Bay and they have stole a car, stolen a car. All right. All right. Unfortunate, but not a surprise. Here's the rest of the headline. 14 and 15 year old arrested after stealing car in Whitefish Bay from homeowner moving cars around in garage. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, Whitefish Bay police are telling the public to be cautious when warming up cars after a recent incident. During the morning on Sunday, on sunny Saturday, January 27th. So this is Saturday around 1045 a.m. So 1045 on a Saturday morning, two suspects demanded keys to a car from a homeowner who was moving cars around in a garage. The suspects did not show weapons. Both suspects left in the stolen car before being sport- spotted by Glendale police who chased the car until the suspects got out and fled on foot. Two boys aged 14 and 15 were arrested and taken to Milwaukee County Children's Center. Okay, now let, let's just back up here for a second. This is not, this is not a situation where you have a, a cold morning and you have it's 7 a.m. and somebody's got their car, they're having that last cup of coffee and they've got their car warming up in front of their house. It's not a situation where it's that cold 7 o'clock in the morning on a Thursday and you've got the car even in your driveway warming up while you're having that last cup of coffee. This is a Saturday morning at 1045 where lots of people on Saturday mornings, what do they do? They work in their garages. You know, they're, they're out and about. So here what you have is some guy, it is 1045 in Whitefish Bay, who's in his garage moving cars around. Now, I don't know what that means. I don't know if you're pulling one in and pulling one out or whatever, but it's 1045 in the morning, and he's there with the cars. And, of course, the story is Whitefish Bay are tell- police are telling people to be cautious when warming up cars after a recent incident. 
414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Whitefish Bay police are telling the public to be cautious when warming up cars after a recent incident. I swear I don't know what people can do. What, what is what is this message that I, I, I'm, I'm not allowed to now, I don't know, have my car running in my garage when I am with it? Because some 14 or 15 year old may come up and may threaten me and steal my car. At some point in time, don't we collectively as a community have to stand up and say enough is enough? Again, I I understand you, you can't leave the car unattended. But what are you supposed to do now? I mean, are we really at a point where you're not allowed to be out with your car and leaving the car running? What about the people who park their cars in their driveways? Are we now told, well, you got to be cautious because, you know, when you get out of your car in your driveway, some 14 and 15-year-old might come up and steal it from you? At some point in time, seriously, don't we have to start taking back this community? How much of this fill-in-the-blank are we going to put up with before we say enough is enough? And if this is not the story that brings that out, you you can't even on a Saturday morning at 1045 be shuffling cars around in your own garage without having people come up and steal the car. If that's not an example of saying enough is enough, and it's a 14 and a 15-year-old, and I've said this before, you know, we're not going to know the criminal records of these kids because we protect them in juvenile court and in the city of Milwaukee, in Milwaukee County, that is, simple car theft isn't going to get you waved into adult court. But my guess is this 14 and these 14 and 15-year-olds have lengthy criminal records. But at some point in time, you know, don't we have to say enough is enough? 414-799-1620. And I'll be brutally honest with you. I don't know what the hell it means to say, gee, be cautious when warming up cars. <laughs> I'm shuffling cars in my – and see, this hits home because for the longest time, the house where I, I lived, um, the, the garage – it's a two-car garage, but because we had all sorts of stuff in it, one car sat outside. And I would frequently, you know, shuffle cars. Um, you know, one car stayed inside, one car stayed outside. But if we were taking that other car, here, I'll pull that one out. I'll pull the other one in. I, this is not an uncommon thing. We shuffle cars around, and we're being told, okay, be cautious when warming up cars. Well, has it really gotten to this point in Milwaukee County where you can't, literally, you cannot go out and maneuver cars around in your driveway at 1045 on a Saturday morning because we've got 14- and 15-year-old punks who are going to steal it? Give me a break. Jack in Whitefish Bay. Jack, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, thanks, Jeff, for uh, bringing this topic up. I'm wondering, you know, you're a guy about town. You've been some (laughs) high-flying spots. Do you know the chief of Whitefish Bay? Uh, I don't know the new chief. I, I don't think I've met him. I'm not sure. If I, if I have, I don't recall. Well, how long do you think he's been the new chief? I you obviously know. I I don't. I what's well, how, no, I I don't. I know. I know the chief that was a, a former Milwaukee copper. Right. 
is is he still the chief? I, I don't, I don't think so. I, I'm not positive. I'm, I'm not no. sure. But and again, I didn't really want to turn this into a bash on the Whitefish Bay chief. I'm just saying that, that this this is what's going on in Milwaukee County. You can't well, you can't be working on your car. You can't be moving cars in your driveway at 10:45 on a Saturday without it getting stolen by a 14 year old. Well, I don't want to bash either. But what I want to what I want to bring to to your readers or your listeners', your listeners yep. attention and you, uh, but you already know this. Whitefish Bay. Is a suburb, of course, and, you know, we pride ourselves in being a little bit above because of uh, the location that we're at. and High property prices, taxes, you betcha. Yeah, the prices yep. we pay to live there. And, and what do we hear from our leaders, from our security officers, our police officers, besides nothing regarding what's starting to spread throughout yeah. the entire county? Yeah, I mean, be, I mean, right. Th- thanks. You're right. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, be, be cautious when warming up cars. All right. I, I would have I would have handled this completely differently. I would have come out and said, listen, we've got these juvenile punks that are out there that are preying on this community. And here's what's going to happen. We are not going to tolerate this. When we catch a 14 and a 15 year old doing something like this, like these kids were caught doing, we are going to demand Demand, demand, demand that John Chisholm's office gets off its sorry butt and waves these kids into adult court. We are not going to tolerate this creep of crime into the suburbs. And by the way, if I was in the city of Milwaukee, I, I would be calling my alderman on a regular basis. But this idea of telling us, well, you need to be cautious because you don't want to become a victim. Well, I understand you want to tell people don't do stupid stuff. I, I get it. But, you know, being out, you know, moving cars around on a Saturday morning at 1045 in your own garage is not that that's not dangerous behavior that's normal behavior that you know people engage in and we shouldn't have to be worried that we're going to be ripped off if we end up doing stuff um john and eden says um someone steals a truck then drives to the local store fills up the back of the truck with grocery carts um and the store owner can get charged with a crime yes that's that's the situation um at some point in time, you know, you, you've got to just say, no, enough is enough. Here's another text. What's next? Don't leave my wallet on the kitchen counter because bad guys could see it through the window. Yes, this is this is something exactly like that. Th- this is where we're coming to. Oh, you didn't have your back door locked. So, you know, we're going to fine you because, you know, you made it easier for the thug to break in. Chris on the east side. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Hey. Hi, Chris. Yeah, I, I agree something definitely needs to be done. I mean. Yep. I'm sorry. We, uh, oh, go ahead. I think I think the, the problem having is that we, we have so many other issues, whether it's uh, violent crimes, drug abuse, uh, school systems that's not educating the kids, that a, star get, a car getting stolen in Whitefish Bay is not really hitting the radar. Yeah. Well, I, I think I think so, but it's I mean, thank, but it's but you see, the problem is you're having more and more of these stories. And again, this is I want people to understand at least the way I read the story. This is an unattended cars. This is this is a guy who who's there and he's moving the cars around in in a garage. It is not something that is unusual. It is something that is typical. It's ten forty five in the morning, and it's a fourteen and a fifteen year old who are out there committing crimes. At what point in time do we have to say what we're doing now isn't working? 
And the idea that people, and I don't care whether it's Whitefish Bay or Bayside or the city of Milwaukee or Bayview or whatever, at what point in time are we going to finally say we are sick and tired of being held hostage by these out-of-control juvenile criminals who feel bold? Can you imagine, Gru, can you imagine at the age of 14, you deciding that you were going to go jack up some guy who was, you know, moving cars around in his garage. Of course you would. Nobody thinks like that. But this is now the standard practice of what's going on. And again, I, I think for all this stuff, of we need midnight basketball and we need to keep these kids occupied. Well, OK, I'm cool with that. I don't have a problem with it. But the truth is we are raising, at least in certain cases, generations of hoodlums who think nothing. Is hoodlums an offensive term? I'm sure. I'm sure we can't say gypsies anymore. I'm sure that, you know, there's somebody out there who's going to be offended by the term hoodlums. I apologize in advance. But but we're raising generations of hoodlums who think nothing about ripping people off in this fashion. And I understand the cops are saying, well, be cautious. Well, I don't know what that means. I mean, does that mean that, gee, I, I can't be out there with two sets of car? What what exactly does it mean? How do I move my cars around in my garage if if I have to be constantly on the lookout for 14- and 15-year-old thugs, hoodlums, whatever, that are going to rob me? Oh, if this is not a wake-up call, I don't know what is. It's 120. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. When we come back, what at least one public school teacher thinks of the military. Stick around. 123, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right. If you are a member, if you were in the, if you're in the military, if you're a member of the military now, or you have a relative who was in the military, or you yourself are, are a veteran, it's interesting to me to bring this point up because this is the way some people think about what you chose what you what you chose to do in deciding to serve our country um this i was going to put up a link to this you know text it but actually i find this to be so offensive that i i don't i don't even want to beyond talking about this i, I don't want to help circulate this video there is a history teacher um in southern california high school history teacher his name is gregory salcedo He's also an elected city councilman, and he was once even the mayor. So he's a history teacher. This is a rant that he goes on, and um, there's some obscenities that are in this as well, so I'm just going to kind of paraphrase this to tell you what he said. But he, he's talking to a high school history class, and the school district has now confirmed that it is this guy. He's talking about members of the military. And he says, okay, think about, and this is to a high school class, think about the people you know who are over there, and meaning like Afghanistan or Iraq, your freaking stupid Uncle Louie or whatever. They're dumb. I can't say the word. They're not high-level bankers. They're not academic people. They're not intellectual people. They're the freaking lowest of the low. This is talking about our military. He then goes on to question why military recruiters are being allowed to visit the school. He says, well, we don't allow pimps to come into the school. Why would we allow military people to come into the school? Uh, the school district confirmed Saturday 
that the person speaking is Salcedo and that the incident did take place on school grounds in a classroom. Um, they say, we acknowledge it is his voice based on the research of the incident so far and knowing it came from one of our classrooms, they say. But they further say that, um, you know, we don't, you know, we um, we haven't been able to talk to him because he's out of town and we will be conducting an investigation. All right. Um, the recording apparently was made on January 19th in a U.S history class by a young man whose father and two uncles are marine veterans who fought in Afghanistan, Desert Storm, and Vietnam. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, see, here's a couple things that are going on. First of all, I don't think that this attitude that this guy has is necessarily unique. I think, unfortunately, there's lots of people who have this attitude about people who have either served or are serving in the military. It's just most people don't say it out loud, and they certainly don't say it out loud in a public high school classroom. In this particular case, though, the teacher just kind of let down his guard, and this is what he considers. If you're if you're in the military, you're the lowest of the low. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't think this guy should ever, 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 did I say ever, be allowed back in a classroom. If this is not a fireable offense, I don't know what is. And this isn't a matter to me of free speech and the right to express yourself. You don't say stuff like this in classrooms, and you don't... And if this is what he really believes, like I say, I don't think he should be anywhere near high school kids. 414-799-1620. But you know what? Not only do I think he should go, but I think there's a lot of other people who probably look at folks who've made a career or who've been in the military in this category. And how do you feel? I mean, if you've served this country or if you've got kids right now that are putting their lives on the line and serving this country, how do you feel about having them referred to as the lowest of the low. They're not high-level bankers. They're not academic people. They're not intellectual people. All right, we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 414-799-1620 is the number. It's 128. This is Jeff Wagner. 135, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Um, I have I have friends slash kind of relatives, and, and their son join the Marines right right out of, of high school. I, I certainly don't consider this young. And right now, he's stationed in Washington, D.C. He goes around. He, he's part of the uh, like the funeral details. So when uh, a soldier who is killed overseas comes back to the United States, he's part of the honor guard. Or when a veteran dies and they have like the, the military presence, the funeral, he goes out. And I, I would say that this young man, the, the last thing I would consider this young man to be is, is the lowest of the low or, or a dead ender, actually. And I will tell you something else. I think that the military has done just a, a wonderful job in making this young man a, a quote-unquote man. Don't criticize me for that phrase. But, I mean, I, I think it's it's helped his maturation process. And I don't know if he's going to make a career in the military or not. All I know is that when I saw him over the holidays, I was very, very impressed with um, the, the life path that he seems to be on. We're talking, of course, about this California high school teacher who stands up and tells a, a classroom that, um, well, I mean, the exact quotation is, um, you know, 
that it's don't go to the military. It's the lowest of the low. Think about the people you know who are over there. Your freaking stupid Uncle Louie or whatever. They're dumb. Can't say the word on the radio. They're not high-level bankers. They're not academic people. They're not intellectual people. They're the freaking lowest of the low. Oh, really? Tim in Fredonia. Tim, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Good afternoon Hi. again. You know, Jeff, you know, I was I served as well. I'm a veteran, and I was an MPS graduate, so I'm not a rolled scholar, so to speak, you know. So, um, but for him to, to say something like that, does he have any idea what the, these officers, when they come in, they go to West Point, Jeff. You're not talking about dummies here, okay? That is a tough place to get through. Right. You're not talking about Annapolis. You're not talking about a fire control technician on a Navy vessel or Navy ship. That is, has a hell of a lot of responsibility, Jeff. He makes one mistake in a submarine or a ship or something. He does something, and somebody dies. Right. So it's obvious that this guy has absolutely zero uh, knowledge of what he's talking about. And I think everybody who served and or is serving at this point should be offended, and this guy should be crap-canned, Jeff, for lack of a better term. If he was talking about anybody else, Jeff, other than the military, if he was talking about a movement group, Oh yeah, he would be gone. Thank oh, you, I, ab- no, thanks. So, absolutely. Could could you imagine if you generalized if instead of this common sort of liberal dream about gee, we we can beat down on the military and we can talk about the people that are there, but yeah, l- let's say this was racialized. For example, if he said all members of this particular group are whatever, you, you knew there'd be a huge outrage. Tom and West Bend text Jeff. My wife and I have two sons in the military. Both are UW grads. One was a straight A computer science ROTC Air Force grad and soon to be deployed. The other son was a psychology UW grad and then a medic in the Army and now a National Guard member. Yeah, see, absolutely. You know, this is, and again, look, I I understand, for example, that, that not everybody who enlists in the military necessarily is a college graduate. But you know what? I think the reason a lot of people choose to maybe enlist in the military is this is their ticket to being a college graduate. Maybe it's kind of like, hey, you know, I, I serve my country. I do my job. Maybe I'm going to learn a skill in the military. If nothing else, maybe I'm going to come out and I'm going to be able to have my college paid for because, okay, I don't have that. I, I'm not in a position where I can walk right in and, you know, but I want to be that banker that this guy's talking about. I want to be a high-level banker, but I need, I, I know I need my education, so I'm going to, you know, serve in the military for this. Or heaven forbid, you know, maybe there's some people that decide we want to be in the military because we want to make a career out of this because, we enjoy what we do. We like aspects of the military. And you know what? We also want to serve our country. This attitude, this liberal elitism that, oh, well, you're just a hopeless dead-ender, the lowest of the low. I mean, really, where does this come from? Um, let's talk to Steve in Delafield. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Steve. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, well, it's pretty clear to me that this teacher has a screw loose. I mean, there's some serious problems there. But I guess my take on this, and I'm a Vietnam veteran, uh, fortunately, I think that the country is just light years ahead of where we were back in the late 60s and early 70s in terms of appreciation for the people of the military and the staff sacrifices they make and the contribution they make to this country. I I, 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 I agree with you, and I hope so. <laughs> you know, I, I agree with you, and I hope so, yeah. Ultimate minority view, I think. 
Did you? Let me ask you that. When, when did you? When did you serve in Vietnam? Uh, I was over there from the middle of '69 to the middle of '70, and then I in the Navy for another two and a half years after I got back. Do, do you have? Battalion. Do you have? You know, you hear a lot of stories about returning vets and the way they were treated and, and ostracized and you know, had to come in to fly into Oakland at midnight to avoid the protests and stuff. How were you treated when you came back? Terribly. When I came back, um, we flew into San Bernardino and then somehow I got to L.A. and, uh, uh, and a hop to, uh, I think I had to go through Vegas to get back to Chicago. So it was probably 7 in the morning on a weekday when I got into O'Hare, and I was in uniform. And, you know, just outright dirty looks, dirty looks. Nobody saying hello or, you know, looking at you with just a smile on their face. It was like you felt like you were still over Mm -hmm. in Vietnam. It, It was it was, I mean, I was just stunned, hmm. stunned. Hmm. And, I, you know, frankly, I think that's why a lot of Vietnam veterans, probably a higher percentage than you see today, kind of went off the rails when they got back. It's like, right. uh, what the hell is going on here? And, you know, right. some people can get over that. Some can't. I've kind of put it behind me. Actually, people, of course, now they find out you served, and, they're very kind. Oh, yeah, and, and appreciative of it. No, thanks for the call, Steve, and, and, and very, very appreciative. I mean, a number of very close friends of mine, I was a little bit too young for the Vietnam War, but uh, a number of close friends of mine, you know, served, and some enlisted, and some were drafted, and some um, enlisted because they knew they were going to be drafted. I mean, it, it's all different dynamics, but I, I think almost everybody now, I hope, recognizes how much people appreciate their service. But it, it's this, one of the reasons I talk about this is there is this still... Even after 9-11, there is this incredible, at least in some circles, and I, I think it's small, but it, it it's especially in these liberal enclaves and, and among the left, you have these people that just have this disdain for the military and, um, you know, a disdain for the people who serve in the military. Who in their right mind stands up in front of a high school classroom and says, essentially, any of you, that are considering a career in the military, you're just a dead ender. You know, you're people that are over there are the lowest of the low. You know, think about it. You know, it's your freaking stupid Uncle Louie. Well, okay, maybe it's not the freaking stupid Uncle Louie, but maybe it's, hey, it's Uncle Louie who I've looked up to my entire life who's been, you know, serving this country to make sure that creeps like this guy out in California are able to, well, I don't know, continue to enjoy their little bubble-wrapped existence. I mean, for goodness sakes, it's 144. This is Jeff Wagner. Coming up next, is it the parents? Is it the teachers? Is it the coaches? What went on in Appleton over the weekend? Stick around. It's 144. This is Jeff Wagner. 147, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. They're already calling them Team Snowflake. Let me back into this. I said a minute ago, I, I was at the Marquette game yesterday. 
um, Marquette men's basketball team playing number one Villanova. The Bradley Center was packed almost to the rim, and, and it, it was just a really good game. Villanova, number one team ranked team in the country, and deservedly so. But Marquette stayed with them, and you know had had a chance. Villanova won by three points, I think eighty five, eighty two. But it was a really good and entertaining game, and. And and you got to give Marquette a lot of credit. Like I say, they hung with the number one team in the country. And um, who knows who's going to win the NCAA championship. But based on what I saw, um, Villanova on your bracket should be pretty high up on the lists. But, you know, being a college basketball coach is always difficult because kids are always coming and kids are always going. You know, so you're always recruiting. You're trying to keep the kids in school. And, and that's why, while there are some dynasty programs, like a Duke, for example, you know, most college programs have ups and downs. The same thing is true, but even to a greater degree in high school, because, um, you know, you don't have, you can't go out and recruit the country. And I understand that there's some coaches who, you know, try to aggressively go out and get kids to transfer in. But, but in general, you know, in high school, you kind of play the hand that you're dealt. I mean, kids come, they spend, they play ball for a couple of years, then they go on, and most kids, you know, never play collegiate basketball, but some of them end up doing it. But your teams are going to go up and down, and and that's just the life of a high school basketball coach. And by the way, you know, winning and losing, while it's cool, everybody wants your team to go to state, everybody would like to be the state champion, at the end of the day, high school basketball is about a, a lot more than just winning and losing. Anyhow, there's a guy named John Milkey who has been the basketball coach at Appleton East High School for for like forever. He's in his eight he up until this weekend, he's in his was in his eighteenth season at East. Um a record of two oh seven one ninety seven with Appleton East boys basketball team. So he's been there for eighteen years. He has an overall coaching mark of three fifty three, two seventy three. So he has you know, 70, 80 more wins than he has losses. And, you know, overall, and that, that's, that's pretty good. Um, Appleton East, their finest season under him in 18 years was in 2010, 2011. The uh, team reached the WIAA Division I state semifinals, finished with a 26 and 1 record, and they were undefeated in conference. So that was a few years ago, but clearly the guy knows how to coach, right? He's been there forever. They've got overall a winning record. Clearly he knows how to coach. So you might say to me, Jeff, why are we talking about Appleton East boys basketball team? Well, he quit over the weekend, and a number of his assistant coaches have apparently also quit. So what happened? What caused him to quit? Well, this is the way the Appleton Post Crescent um, is reporting it. Friday night, um, the team loses a, a game. And like I say, they're they're 4-10 and 10 this year, so my, my guess is, you know, I, I, my guess is they don't have the talent this year that they've had in, in previous years. But when the guys had talent, they've won. So here's the story. Um, apparently on Friday, he's in, he's in a bar, okay? He's in a bar, and several parents of East players confront him in the bar. They get in his face. They accuse him of being too hard on his players, and suggests that many on the team no wanted no, no longer wanted to play for him. Now this isn't the kids; these are the parents. It's after a game, the guys having a beer or whatever, and you have a group of parents who come up and get into the guy's face. 
According to several sources, he was approached after Friday's loss to Appleton West by a small group of parents of Appleton East basketball players. According to sources, the parents questioned his coaching tactics, with one of the parents repeatedly calling the team's play embarrassing. Sources said the parents told Milky that some of the players on the team no longer wanted to play for him. Some indicated that Milky yelled at their kids too much during practices and games. So the parents of Team Snowflake are upset. You yell at them too much. Their their play is embarrassing. They're not winning enough. East was scheduled to practice Sunday morning, but Milky called the team together and told them he was stepping down as head coach. According to sources, several other coaches in the boys' basketball program have joined him in stepping down. Monday's practice has been postponed, and the status of Tuesday's game at home against Oshkosh North is unknown. Now, obviously, a number of you know coaches in the area are are kind of surprised by this story i'm looking at again kimberly the kimberly coach said he was shocked at the timing and that he heard the news from one of the play, his players at practice sunday morning he said this is about the coach who quit he's a legend in what he knows about the game he knows so much about basketball it's unbelievable um he was definitely kids first there's no doubt about that i definitely want to be that kind of person too and it's been the hope of how my legacy is but I've done a lot of talking with John on that, and I've learned from him. It's not just about basketball, but it's about the approach and what the game is all about and how to do it the right way. All right, so essentially you get this. They're having a down year at, at Appleton East. It, it happens in high school programs. The guy, you know, came close to winning the state championship a few years ago. They got a down year. They're 4-10. A handful of parents are unhappy about – Gee, he yells at the kids. Their play is embarrassing. And, um, you know, he finally says, okay, enough is enough. Life is too short. I'm going to step down. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Did the parents go too far? I mean, is this, I mean, is this guy overreacting? I mean, you're the high school basketball coach. The team's not doing well this year. You should, I mean, obviously expect they're 4-10. and 10. Should you expect to be criticized? I mean, is it the parents' rights to come up and to get in the face of the coaches when they're in a bar after the game and provoke this kind of confrontation? Is it the coach that's being too thin-skinned? Does this come with the territory? Or is this another example of the parents being out of control and again, is this kind of like a team snowflake sort of thing? I mean, I, I I don't know where where do you draw the line? I mean, four or five years from now, when the kids are out of college and they start their job, and you know, one of the kids comes home and, hey, son, how was your day at work? Oh, I don't know. The boss yelled at me. I, I was I was producing Jeff Wagner's show, and afterwards he yelled at me for doing something like that. And then then should the parents be storming in and confronting me for being too tough on their kids? Gru, are you going to send your parents down to yell at me? If not, that I would ever yell at you. For, but I mean. Where do we draw the line? Is it the coach that's being too thin-skinned, or are this another example of parents out of control? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 155. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 158, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Mike on the northwest side. Mike, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, yeah, my thoughts are that this coach is not too thin-skinned. He's probably got pretty thick-skinned because... I think or have a feeling that he's been dealing with these parents for years and years, and it's probably just reached the boiling point for him, right. where he'd rather uh, just, you know, deal with the kids and teach them and coach them 
he's just got it to the point where he doesn't want to deal with the parents anymore. Yeah, no, th- I, see, I, I, I'm with you. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to picture, okay, you're having a down year, probably because the kids aren't that good. Now, no parent likes to accept that, but the kids probably aren't that good. They're not running the plays. They're doing dumb stuff. And, and yes, he, he, he's, he's yelling. Um, you got the parents who are upset because the team isn't winning. Well, maybe part of it is because the, the kids aren't that good. And so you're just playing against better people. And then the guy's sitting in a bar after a tough loss, probably. And then a bunch of parents get together and confront him. Well, okay, I think the problem here is clearly, clearly the parents. And apparently it was only a small group of parents. It wasn't like this was a team uprising. Now, I think some of these parents should maybe try to coach the team, see if they could get better production. I think this is appalling that something like this happened. And unfortunately, I think it probably happens a lot in youth sports. Now, again, this is a high school basketball coach, but I think you see this on all different levels. Are parents out of control? We continue the conversation. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 159. This is Jeff Wagner. If you want to join us, 414-799-1620. I think this incident tells more about the parents up at Appleton East than it says about the coach or the basketball program. Stick around. Jeff Wack, WTMJ. So people are upset with the sheriff. Huh. Okay. Interesting. Not, not, no, not David Clark. He's, he's long gone. Not the current Milwaukee County Sheriff. But um, David Beth, who is the Kenosha County Sheriff. All right. Here's, let me, let me share with you the story as it's reported in the Kenosha News. And then we're going to discuss. Um, a crew of alleged shoplifters fleeing arrest led a deputy on a high-speed chase before crashing into another vehicle. This happened last week. The chase began with a theft at the Tommy Hilfiger store at Prime Outlets in Pleasant Prairie about 4.10 p.m. Wednesday. Employees of the store called police after three men came into the store, grabbed a large amount of clothing, and ran from the building, getting into a silver Pontiac. Employees said the men were only in the store for about two minutes, but managed to grab about $4,800 in merchandise before running from the store. Employees said that there were two people waiting inside the car for the men when they ran outside. So 4 o'clock in the afternoon at this outlet store in Pleasant Prairie last Wednesday, what happens is you have three guys that run in, steal as much stuff as they possibly can, and run out. There's two more people in the car who are presumably the getaway car drivers. About 10 minutes after the theft was reported, a Kenosha County Sheriff's Department deputy spotted a silver Pontiac headed north on Interstate 94 near Highway 158. When the deputy attempted to stop the vehicle, it accelerated, reaching speeds of up to 111 miles per hour. All right, so these guys run into the store, grab almost five grand worth of merchandise, run out, flee. They're on the freeway. The car is spotted. Deputy tries to stop them. They speed up to 111 miles an hour on the freeway. And this is, again, 4 o'clock in the afternoon or a little thereafter. The Kenosha News reports. The Pontiac left the interstate on Highway S, Washington Road, and headed east. The deputy reported he was driving 75 miles an hour, and the Pontiac was traveling at a much faster speed, according to the criminal complaint. At Highway H, the driver of the Pontiac ran a red light 
crashing into two vehicles in the intersection. No one was injured in the crash, thank the Lord, caused minor damage to the vehicles. One of the cars was driven by a 16-year-old who had just gotten his driver's license at Kenosha, according to the sheriff. After the crash, all five people in the Pontiac fled on foot into nearby fields. Four of the people were quickly caught uh, by police. One of the suspects, Wanda Winslow, was located in a wooded area after being tracked by a deputy working with a police dog. The lar- a large amount of clothing, still some still on hangers, or with the anti-theft devices attached, was found in the abandoned Pontiac. Sandra Smith, 20, was the driver of the Pontiac. She was charged Thursday with felony retail theft, fleeing police, causing criminal damage to property, second degree, recklessly endangering safety, two counts of hit and run and obstructing police. She's being held on a $30,000 bond. Kevin Kevion Thompson, Eugene Skull, both 18, and Winslow, 23, were charged with felony retail thefts and obstructing, etc., etc. Winslow was also charged with bail jumping because, wait for it, she was out on bond for a Milwaukee County resisting obstructing police charge. Okay, uh, the fifth person in the vehicle is 16 years old and did not appear in adult court. Uh, the court commissioner said the fleeing police, both in the vehicle and on foot, uh, called for a high bond for the adults, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so good. Um, then they talk about how shoplifting is a significant issue. Prime Outlets is a frequent target, both because of the name brand goods that are sold, um, at, that they sell at the stores are easy to sell, and because there is quick access to the freeway. You know, so it's one of these deals where you can do exactly what these people did. You go in, you steal a bunch of stuff, and you can get on the freeway and flee pretty quickly. Um, Okay, Um, and then they talk about, again, the story about how shoplifting is just more and more of a problem. All right, so here's where it gets interesting. David Beth is the uh, sheriff in Kenosha. The way the story reports it, Beth had some harsh words about the suspects saying they should be warehoused for the rest of their lives. Here's what he says. I think, this is quotes, I think at some point society has to get so fed up that they are no longer willing to tolerate people who are not an asset to society. I think we have to create a threshold where once you cross the threshold, Wisconsin, the United States, builds warehouses where we put these people who have been deemed to no longer be an asset that are really a detriment like these five people. I have no issue with these five people completely disappearing. At this point, these people are no longer an asset to the community, and they just need to disappear. Um, Quote, unquote, then the story says, with the exception of the driver who faces a more serious charge, the people charged in this incident face little prison time. None of the four have passed serious criminal charges as adult. Felony retail theft is a class I felony, etc. So the sheriff is getting criticism for saying, I think that we have to get so fed up that we're no longer too willing to tolerate people who are not an asset to society. I think we have to create a threshold where once you cross that threshold, we build warehouses where we put these people who have been deemed to no longer be an asset, really a detriment like these five people. I have no issue with these five people completely disappearing. They are no longer an asset to our community. All right, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, so you see what happens. These people show up at this store. 
They run in. They steal as much stuff as they can grab. They lead the police on a high-speed chase, endangering people's lives. They blow through a red light. They hit a series of cars, and then they run. And the sheriff is saying, enough is enough. These people should be warehoused. And he is being criticized. 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That is the accurate mortgage talk and text line. Now, I will concede that these people, based on this particular event and, you know, the, the criminal records or lack thereof, might not necessarily be the worst of the worst. But is this anything that the sheriff needs to apologize for? 414-799-1620. That's the accurate mortgage talk and text line for essentially saying enough is enough. We're sick of this type of stuff. And we need to get serious about it. And if these five people, you know, get warehoused, I'm not going to be sorry. Are you offended by the sheriff's comments? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Candidly, while it might be a bit of an overstatement, and I say a bit with regard to these particular individuals in this crime, I, I think more and more we would be better off if people in law enforcement and in politics started talking like this about the people who are preying on innocent business people and people, you know, who are just innocent victims, the people that are out moving their cars, you know, on a cold Saturday morning. I, I mean, is this a bit of hyperbole? Yeah, maybe. Is this anything that the sheriff should have to apologize for? No way. 414-799-1620. I want to wait for these criminals to apologize to the people that they hit as they were fleeing the police after leading them on a high-speed chase. And, yeah, maybe you don't need to warehouse them for the rest of their lives, but you know what? little bit of time, maybe a lot of time behind bars, that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. 414-799-1620, we discuss next. Should the sh- and Sheriff's getting all sorts of criticism for his harsh language. Huh, it's 217, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, the, the Kenosha Sheriff's posted a notice on their Facebook page saying, I would like to publicly apologize for some of the comments I made during a press conference I held this past week on January 25th, 2018, discusses the incident. He says, hey, the 16-year-old who had just got his driver's license, um, you know, um, was almost was almost killed uh, by the by this car going through, you know, blowing through a, a red light, thousands of dollars of stolen merchandise. I am extremely aware that it bothered me that if timing was only a little bit different. Um, at the time of the collision, it must have been, might have been a much more serious accident. In the press conference, he says, I should have kept my comments better directed towards the incident itself and not allowed my emotions to get the better of me at the time. I have been involved in hundreds of uh, on-camera interviews and press conferences and have shared my emotions before, but never in this fashion or to this extent. Um, and then they go on saying, well, this morning I had a wonderful meeting with two members of the Kenosha NAACP who I greatly respect. Even though my comments were not meant to offend people, I can see how they might have. All right, 414-799-1620. All right, uh, so he's getting all sorts of criticism for standing up and saying, hey, I've, I've had it. You know, you have these people who are committing these crimes. They are endangering the public. And you know what? They need to go away. All right, is that something he should be apologizing for? Let's start with Tim on the east side. Tim, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Hi, Tim. I'm not offended at all by what he said. And, uh, you know, I'm a very liberal person, but at some point you have to say, 
enough is enough. They are endangering innocent people who are trying to get to jobs by these high-speed crashes. You know, shoplifting is one thing, but when you when you uh, accelerate that to high-speed chases, you know, blowing through red lights, life in danger. Yeah, and I'm sure. Well, I think one of the things that really hit the hit the sheriff was you've got a 16 year old kid who just got yes. his or her driver's license who's in the intersection at the time these people blow through it and slam into that car. Yeah. Right. Well, I give him credit for having a driver's license. Which right. Is about it. Yeah. But the other thing is, I think we're doing society and these young kids a disservice by not giving them consequences on their first offense. They need to learn that you cannot do this. At all, not even one time. And if you do, you're going to go to jail, let's say six months, put them in a cell, no TV, no music, no hanging out with all the other guys. And, you know, they need to go into a cell and and see what that's going to be like for six months. And then maybe next time it's going to be a year or two or whatever. You know, right. you've got, you're, yeah. we're doing everybody a, uh, the service by, by not coming down hard on these types of crimes. Well, right, and you know the interesting thing, Tim, is is uh, it's interesting the way the Kenosha news story is written. Now, like I say, there, there's a 23 year old, but there's there's a bunch of 18 year olds, there's a 23 year old, there's a 20 year old, there's two 18 year olds, and then there's a 16 year old. Now, the story is interesting because it says. Well, um, with the exception of the driver who faces more serious charges, the people facing the incident face little prison time. None of the four charged have passed serious criminal charges as adults. Well, that's a key phrase because two of them are 18 years old. Okay, so two of them haven't been adults for very long. And, of course, as we have talked about repeatedly on this program, we coddle and protect the juveniles. I don't know if they have juvenile records or or not, but they've only turned 18. And, again, maybe... Maybe last week was the day you decide, hey, today's the day we're going to decide to run into a store, steal 5000 or $4,800 worth of merchandise, and enter into a high-speed chase where we damn near kill a bunch of people. But but my, my guess is, like I say, there have been other contacts. But I'm sorry, I don't have any problem with the sheriff talking tough. Now, was this a little bit of hyperbole? Yeah, but this is what he's got to apologize for. No, why don't we have the people that coddle these folks who are committing the crimes in the community? They're the ones, I think, that should be apologizing. Brian in Brookfield. Brian, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Uh, I pretty much agree with the last caller, and I also agree with the sheriff. Uh, And we are much too lenient with these um, younger kids. Um, the juveniles, the ones that aren't 18 yet, um, they should be at least put in um, a juvie for at least a year and in a cell where they see nothing but the wall and get out for maybe lunch, and that's it. No TV, because jail in that now is like um, a country club. Yeah, well, part of the problem is that we don't even. Yeah, we we don't even. I mean, thanks. We we don't even we don't even jail them. I mean, you you have to. You don't understand how tough it is as a juvenile to even get sent to a juvenile facility. I mean, to and and waving into adult court. Well, I mean, give me a break. In Milwaukee County, you can steal twenty cars. They're not going to wave you into adult court. It is this whole attitude of coddling people. And again, look, I I don't know. You've got two eighteen year olds, and they say they don't have serious criminal records as adults. Well, no kidding. 
They just became adults. I would be surprised. Now, they don't say what their juvenile records are, but again, my guess is that there's something going on here, which again gets me back up on my high horse about why we protect and stop the public from knowing what crimes people committed as juveniles, because I think you would be shocked if you saw this. Uh, and again, and I, I'm not talking about these these people, but I'm talking about folks in general who come through the juvenile court system. Judy in Milwaukee. Judy, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, I agree with everything. Tim said your previous caller, we would be doing society a favor mm-hmm. before a family is killed and this will continue. Yeah, and, and the sheriff, you can just tell, he's emotional. He's sitting there thinking, you know, 30 seconds or 5 seconds, and this, this 16-year-old kid is dead because these folks blew through the red light. It is but for the grace of God yes. that this didn't happen. So he's showing a little bit of emotion. And isn't it nice to finally have sheriffs talking like what I think sheriffs should be? I find it refreshing, and I find someone finally taking a stand and telling everybody the way it should be. Yeah, no, thank, thanks for calling. And I'm, I mean, and I, I would like to see him continue doing this. And David Beth has been a guest on this program for you know quite a few times. I, rather than apologizing and backtracking, and you could say, okay, maybe this was these guys were shoplifters, so maybe it's you know unfair to talk about warehousing them. But at the same time, well, let's start you know talking about the underlying problem. And I would love to see politicians around here start to call out the judges and call out bad decisions by the district attorneys. One of the most disappointing aspects to me of Ed Flynn's tenure has been this idea that he got kind of trapped into the um, Tom Barrett political bubble where let's gonna, let's bash the idea that we got too many guns on the street. Um, let, let's try to tie crime into concealed carry, which is just absolutely ridiculous. Instead of saying, hey, we caught this guy. Here's what this judge in juvenile court did to him. And this is why he's back out on the street doing it again. Wouldn't that be refreshing? So the sheriff issued kind of an apology for saying he went too far. I don't know. Like I say, I just wish that some of the people that were upset with the sheriff for what he said about holding criminals accountable were one-tenth, one-tenth as concerned about the criminal behavior in the first place. 227, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Two thirty-five, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. There's a story in the news, um, and they actually had it on today's TMJ four, and, and and I lump it into the category of sometimes you know what happens. I, this, all right, there, there's it was a bus ride. The bus is going from Minneapolis to Milwaukee to Chicago the other night. Really cold. The heater on the bus goes out. All right, now. I think probably under the best of circumstances, riding Greyhound buses, eh, it's probably not the highlight of your life. But I understand that when you're, you know, on a five or six hour bus trip and the heater goes out and it's winter, it's going to be cold. So that the heater stops working, or at least according to Greyhound, they say the heat on the bus was not working as well as it should have. But all right, there it's Minneapolis to Milwaukee, the, and then on to Chicago. The nearest replacement bus is in Milwaukee. So what they do is he drives from Minneapolis to Milwaukee, and then they change buses, and then they go on to Chicago. And this becomes the, this news story, and, and they go out, and they've got all these people who are complaining, well, it, it was cold on the bus. And, you know, we, we, we can't believe it was cold on the bus. Well, the heater went out. I mean, he, I, look, he, heaters do, in fact, you know, go out. 
And I understand why it would be like a little bit of an uncomfortable thing. But the the replacement bus was in Milwaukee. And I, I was watching this news story about these people complaining. And I, I don't know. The question would be, gee, would you rather have them, you know, blast on, get to Milwaukee and get a bus that works? Or would you rather have them stop in Black River Falls where you sit for 8 or 10 or 12 hours while they're waiting for a new bus? I don't know about you, Gru, but I vote on, like, let's get to Milwaukee. Let's let's move this thing along. Um, and these people are complaining. I feel bad because there were kids on the bus, and it was freezing, and there were small children. Um, it was nothing the driver did. There was no heat, and you could do. I feel bad for him. He couldn't feel his toes either. Well, yeah, I, I get it. Sometimes, all right, sometimes stuff goes out, and sometimes stuff happens. And, oh, this is terrible. And, you know, the Greyhound, well, okay. You know, buses break down, heaters go out, and you just kind of try to make the best of it. But you had a bunch of people who were whining on the bus. Oh, this was terrible. I don't know what Greyhound is supposed to do. All right, let us switch gears. If you ever have a chance to get to Washington, D.C., and, and you've never been there before, you've been there, but you really haven't taken to the sites, one of the places you must, must, must stop is at the Vietnam Veterans Wall. Um, if you go um, and you go and you, you go see the Lincoln Memorial and you stand at the Lincoln Memorial and you turn to your right and you walk down a little path and that's where the Vietnam Veterans Wall is. I I have probably been there. Well, in another life, I used to get to D.C. a lot. I've probably been there 30 times. I don't know, maybe more, maybe less. Don't know. But I, I will tell you, taking that walk down the path and, and standing in front of the wall is an incredibly moving experience. There's just no way to describe it. And and ever since the Vietnam Veterans Wall was first erected, um, it was dedicated in 1982, one of the things that has happened is people have always, ah, gosh, it breaks your heart. They've left souvenirs. Souvenirs is perhaps the wrong term, mementos or whatever. I mean, I remember one of the times I'm there and, and somebody put, a kid's baseball glove with a baseball at the, the foot of one of the panels of the wall. And clearly it was a recognition of, you know, one of the people who died in Vietnam and it was at their part of the wall. And it's this, but you see things like that. And, and people do that, not as a form of littering. They do it as a, as a tribute to and a memorial their own little, in their own little way to somebody who gave their life. Now, the National Park Service is, is responsible for maintaining the wall. And so what they will periodically do is they will go out and they will gather up the, the souvenirs, mementos, remembrances, you know, whatever. They, they will gather up the artifacts, call them whatever you want, and, and they'll, um, then they store them in the Park Service's Museum Resource Center in suburban Maryland. I mean, I don't think they catalog them, but they, they just keep them. they got a big room where they keep them. All right. That's been going on for the longest time. What's also happened periodically is that families, when Vietnam veterans have died, what families have done is they have taken their remains. The the Vietnam veteran dies, um, is cremated. Families have taken their remains and have left the remains 
at the wall. Let me share with you part of the story in Washington Post. When Vietnam veteran Gordon J. Castro died six years ago, his older brother Leon had him cremated and placed his remains in a specially inscribed stainless steel box. He glued on Gordon's purple heart medal, his silver and blue combat infantryman badge, and his first cavalry division insignia. He then got into his Ford pickup, put the box on the passenger seat, and drove from Corpus Christi, Texas, to the Vietnam Veterans Memorial in Washington to fulfill his brother's wish that he be laid to rest at the wall. It was hard to leave him so far from home, Leon said, but Gordon said that he left the better part of himself in Vietnam. Gordon Castro's remains are among scores that have been left at the wall over the years in gestures of devotion. It is a practice the National Park Service is now trying to stop. With an aging population of Vietnam veterans, the 50th anniversary of the worst year of fighting, and Ken Burns' powerful Vietnam War documentary, the Park Service said there has been an increase in remains being left. Um, This past fall, signs were erected at the wall telling visitors that human remains and associate objects should not be left or scattered there or or anywhere on the mall. Um, About 70 containers with remains have been left at the wall over the years. And again, the wall first were left in 1990. The most recent appeared several weeks ago. 31 have been left in the past five years, including five last year. What the government does is if somebody leaves remains in a container, um, what they do is they take them and they put them in 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 a room, <laughs> essentially, and now they're concerned that, gee, you know, we we don't want more people doing this because we essentially might have to find a, a bigger room. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't mean to be morbid about this, and I, I understand that, you know, having to take a, a container, um, having to take a, a container, you know, might cause a, a minor or maybe even a major storage issue. But this, I guess I look at this and think this is, and maybe you're going to disagree with me, this is the federal government. Okay, seriously. And if you have a Vietnam veteran whose desire is to have his remains left at the Vietnam veterans wall, I think the United States has enough money and the Park Service has enough different space that given the fact that there's been 70 over the last, I don't know, since 1982, I mean, I don't care if it ends up being 700 or 1,000. I, I think the Park Service should be able to find room. All right, am I out to lunch on this? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is apparently basically a, a question of room. Gee, we're, we're running out of, of room if people were to do this. Now, first of all, not that many people are going to do it. That's just the reality. But if a veteran wants to, if this is his dying wish, should we really be saying no? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, uh, you're... You've, you've had 70 since 1982, and I understand that more veterans or Vietnam-era veterans are probably going to be passing away. So maybe, but again, this isn't going to be something where you're going to have 25,000. I mean, that, that's, that's just not going to be the way that this all shapes out. So if this is the dying wish of somebody who served in Vietnam, should we be telling them no? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. It's 244. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 
247, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, since the Vietnam Veterans Wall was um, came to fruition in 1982, there, there's been, they estimate, about 70 times where family members have left the ashes of the Vietnam veteran at, at the wall. The wall, I, I think... It is powerful. If you've never been there, you, you should go. And I think there's this powerful connection that the wall has to people who served in, in Vietnam. Um, about 70 occasions where people have left the ashes of the, the soldier um, who passed away. The National Park Service says we, we want to stop this. We, we want to prevent people from doing it. Um, and I guess my question is, is why? I mean, if this is... If this is the last wish of the the veteran, is this really that big a deal? And, and I mean, I, I understand that it's not a cemetery. I, I get that. But there is something special with the Vietnam Veterans Wall. And I guess I don't understand. You're, you're talking about the National Park Service. And they're saying, well, we, we're running out of space. I mean, really? Uh, how... how how much space could you possibly need? How many? Let let's say that there's another two thousand veterans over the next decade, and there's been seven hundred since nineteen seventy since nineteen eighty two. So my guess is you you couldn't be talking about more than a couple hundred people. Shouldn't you allow people to to do this? Let's start with Kathy in New Berlin. Kathy, your first. Good afternoon. Um. Hi, Jeff. Thanks hi, for taking my call. Sure. Um. I've been to the wall many times before. And I agree with you completely that it's um, probably the most gut-wrenching of all the memorials in D.C. But I feel very strongly that if a family member wants to do this and wants to, um, you know, leave the ashes, I guess, at the wall, um, they should be allowed to do so. Mm -hmm. And then after whatever the respectful period of time is that the Park Service decides, please, can't we find space for them over at Arlington? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because then they would get the respectful burial that a veteran deserves mm-hmm. right and, and maybe maybe you do it by a permit process so you make sure that it, it is you know a vietnam veterans ashes that are being left i mean because and I, I understand that you know right now see right now they don't allow scattering of ashes you can't do that so and, and you don't know i mean sometimes these ashes are left and they're just unmarked so you don't know whether you know who this this really was so i mean maybe you start up a permitting process to keep control and make sure it's really veterans and actually i, I like your idea I, either you scatter them at the wall or if you want to keep them in an urn well okay then after a respectful period of time then you go over to Arlington. And to me, that makes sense. Yeah, thank you. No, I, thank- just, I just think that it's a, you know, it's the proper place for the final resting place for a veteran. Yeah, no, thanks and for it's calling. It's moving yeah. there as it is at the wall. Right, no, thanks for calling. And I, I, I get, but again, this idea that we're just going to say no. Well, this is one where I, I think a little bit of creativity you know, can, can solve the problem. And, and their response is, well, we're we're running out of space. Well, okay, it's the National Park Service, for God's sake. Rent a bigger room. I mean, if if that's the issue. But I do like the idea of, first of all, allow people to scatter their ashes. Really, if you want to scatter their ashes, why shouldn't you be able to do that um, at the wall? If that's what the veterans wish, his or her wish was, what, why shouldn't you be able to do that? Get a permit. If you want to leave the ashes, yeah, maybe a vault, something like that. To me, that's the easy way around this. Eric in West Band. Eric, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. You know, I've been to D.C. Uh, 10, 11 times, and um, recently I had a really awesome opportunity to see underneath the um, Lincoln Memorial. Right. Down, it's, it's cavernous. The lack of the, 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 the notion that they don't have space is 
is is ridiculous. Um, and that's run by the National Park Service as well. And your previous caller, I'm sure there is cavernous space at Arlington if they needed to put these uh, urns somewhere. And I also think that isn't it kind of don't we think? I, I think that the United States government owes it to these these men yeah. that gave and women, their all, men and women that gave their all in Vietnam and and have struggled since. Uh, yeah, and, I, and there's something about that. I mean, thanks, and that, that's one of the things you see for for many many people who who served in in Vietnam. That's there. There is a connection. It was a life altering type of experience, and I guess if that's and I keep coming back to the notion we're not ta- we cannot be talking about you know tens of thousands of people that that's we're we're going to be talking about tens maybe hundreds moving forward so you're you're not you're not dealing with oh we're going to have this huge issue i mean again i just i think this is one where instead of saying no 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 don't don't do this because we don't have enough space it would be interesting to just get creative this should be to the extent this is a problem, the solution should be, I, I think, easy. Lisa in Milwaukee. Lisa, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. I just wanted to reiterate Kathy's point of view. Absolutely allow these families to leave and earn. Either create space through a vault. We've right. got billions to build walls. Let's build a vault <laughs> down right. below the memorial and house them or put them over at Arlington. In all due respect, these right. families. That's all. Yeah, no, thanks for calling. You're right. It, it, again, you just, or, or you let people scatter the ashes. Now, in, in some parks, you can do that. Again, you need to get a permit. And I, I think I, I think it would be creative to just come up and say, okay, we're, we're going to develop a, a formalized program for this. Because, I mean, I, I understand the idea of people just showing up randomly, you know, and leaving off ashes. I don't mean to be morbid about this, but, you know, you, you have to have some sort of controls over this. But this idea that we're going to say no, I think it just, I think it misses the point and misses the connection that people have to the wall. Scott No Creek. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. I to speak with you. Thanks for calling, my friend. I appreciate it. Um, I just the last caller just just didn't steal my thunder, but we were thinking the same along along the same lines. Couldn't they build a, a small structure adjacent to the wall, specifically marked, you know, stating you know here lies remains of, um, and, right. and they they could put them there. Um, I don't I don't think it should. I've never been to the wall. I'd like to visit some visit it sometime, but uh, I don't I don't see why they couldn't. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, there's right. There, there's and I, again, and I pre- thanks for calling. I mean, again, I I appreciate that you don't necessarily want to turn every monument into a a grave site, but there's we're not talking about burials. Um, it's just I, I I think that this is one where rather than saying no, the National Park Service should sit down and say, all right, what what are we going to do? How are we going to handle the connection that the wall has to so many Vietnam veterans? And and is there some way that we can accommodate this? And I'm not arguing you turn that area into a, into a grave site, but I think there's ways you could do it and make everybody happy. And isn't that what it's all about, honoring the wishes, the final wishes of the veterans? I don't think Arlington Cemetery will be getting any sort of serious uh, competition from this. It's 2.55 when we come back. John McCure, Melissa Barclay, Greg Matzik, we'll find out what they have on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Stick around.